Well, it is May 29, 2020 here on Theology Matters, where we help people see all of life through a biblical worldview. And today we're going to be talking about the subject of apologetics. Is it really just for the Christian academic elites? Is it just for the Ravi Zacharias's who just went to be with the Lord? Is it just for the William Lane Craig's or for those who would be more in line with my own apologetic methodology? Would it be just for the Cornelius Van Til's or the Greg Bonson's or the John Frames? Or are all believers, no matter their intellectual abilities, called to make a defense for the hope they have in Jesus Christ? Well, that's what we're going to deal with today. And today we're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 3, which is the big text that we talk about when we talk about apologetics. Uh, 1 Peter chapter 3 verses 15 and 16 are the go-to text. Um, but today I want to give a little framework and put those scriptures in their context. So we're going to start in verse 13 of chapter 3 and move through verse 17 this morning. For those who are watching on YouTube, you're going to see that on the screen. If you're listening by podcast, uh, if you are where you have your Bible, just or on your phone, or you're at home and you're able just to pull out your Bible, open that up to 1 Peter chapter 3, uh, verse 13 through 17 this morning. All right, so let's, let's read the text this morning. Now, okay, before we jump into the text, let's give a little bit of context. Context, context, context is king. When you are interpreting scripture, um, you need to make sure you're putting those scriptures in their context and not pulling them out of their context. You want to do what's called exegesis, which is to draw out of the text the original meaning of that text. Or you don't want to do eisegesis to push into that text what you want it to mean or to pull that con that scripture out of its context so let, let's put these scriptures in their context a little bit peter is writing to a group of believers who are under persecution and suffering and he is writing to encourage them and to help them see um what they're facing through a biblical lens, a Christian world view. So that is his purpose in writing these le this letter, is to help these Christians who are struggling with suffering and persecution to begin to help them frame that with in the Christian world view how they are to think through these things as believers and how they are to approach those things as believers. So when we talk about apologetics and we use this big text, we have to remember that it, it is set within the context of Peter's writing. 
He is inspired by the Holy Spirit to pen this, but there is a purpose in his penning this. So that purpose was to encourage believers who were suffering under persecution and the like. So let's jump into the text now. 1 Peter chapter 3, starting in verse 13. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. Now, here goes, we're getting ready to start in the those big scriptures that we like to talk about when we talk about apologetics. And I'll show you why in just a second. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. All right. So, we see the context here is these believers are suffering. And he is telling them not to have any fear, not to be troubled, um, that if it is God's will for them to suffer, that it's better for them to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. They don't need to respond in a negative way in their persecution and their suffering. They need to respond in a positive and godly manner in their suffering for the sake of Christ. All right, now we get the word apologetics from the Greek word apologia, which is in this text. It is the word right here that I've highlighted on the screen for you guys, apologia. Gia. Now, let's jump over to BDAG, um, the Greek lexicon. It's the go-to if you're going to look at uh, the Greek. And it is a legal term we see, and it means a speech of defense, a defense, a reply that, that insinuates a question, the act of making a defense. So we see here from the lexical uh, use of this word, it's a legal term. It's like a defense attorney. You're making a defense for why you believe in Jesus, why you trust Jesus. Okay. Now, he's telling these believers to make their defense in the middle of their suffering, in the middle of their persecution. And he's telling them exactly how they can do this, exactly how they can make a defense, exactly how they should make a defense in the middle of their suffering for the reason 
for the hope that is in you. What is that hope? That hope is Jesus Christ. That hope is what he accomplished for us at Calvary. And um, also the already and not yet terminology. We've already been saved and we shall be saved for all eternity. All right, so let's unpack that a little bit and look at how we should do apologetics. First of all, I want you to see that this isn't written to the academic elite. This is written to everyday Christians who were facing persecution and struggling, and Peter is commanding them to make a defense, to be prepared to make a defense for the reason, for the hope that is was in them and is in you and I. This is a command for us today as well, that we be able to make a defense for this hope that is in us. So it's for everyday believers. It's not just for the pastor. It's not just for those who have been academically trained to be apologists. This is for everyday Christians. Jesus commanded us to go into all the world and preach the gospel. Part of that is making a defense. Part of that is sharing the hope that is in you. So, if we're all called to do this, every single person who has put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, if we're all called to do this, then how do we do it? That's the major question. If we're all called to have boots on the ground, so to speak, and sharing our faith, and making a defense for our faith, how do we do that? What does that look like? First of all, Peter tells us, but in your hearts honor Christ as Lord. Honor Christ the Lord as holy. Honor him as holy, understanding that God is holy, that Jesus Christ is holy, meaning that you're going to follow him with your life. One of the greatest apologetics uh, is to live out the Christian life day in and day out in the good, in the bad, in the ugly, living it out day in and day out and following Jesus Christ, understanding that we are honoring him in our hearts as holy day in and day out. That is the greatest apologetic. Um, Now, that doesn't mean we are supposed to be quiet and never speak up for Jesus Christ. Uh, We can live it out, but if we nobody knows that we're a Christian, how does that help them? We live it out while we share it, right? And we live it out and we honor Christ as holy in our hearts, in our daily lives. That means no matter what comes, On the mountains, in the valleys, I'm going to serve Jesus. In persecution, I'm going to serve Jesus faithfully. In the good times, I'm going to serve Jesus faithfully. That's what this means. So, one of the best apologetics with the people that you're surrounded by is just to live out this faith, this thing we call Christianity, the following Jesus Christ day in and day out. And we... Also, as we are doing that, as we are living out 
day-to-day, this thing called the Christian life. Peter goes on, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks, for a reason, for the hope that is in you. We need to be ready to speak up for Jesus Christ. We need to be ready to have those conversations about who Jesus is, why we follow him. So we're, we're to live it out day in and day out. But that doesn't mean that we don't speak up. It doesn't mean we don't share our faith verbally. We are also, as Christians, called to share our faith by communicating our faith to people. Um, sometimes that's the people closest to us. Most of the time, it's the people within our influence, those people we see almost on a daily basis or um, weekly basis. It could be coworkers. It could be family members. It could be all the above, and we are in contact with them often. And it's people who may have serious questions about uh, what, what we believe and why we believe it, and we need to be ready to answer those questions. But what is the attitude that we are to have when we're answering those questions? What well, Peter gives us the answer here. He says, yet do it with gentleness and respect. Now some, well, I call it this time sometimes where people first get into academic apologetics. And I've been there. I've done that. I have the T-shirt to prove it. Um, cage stage apologist. And what a cage stage apologist is, is someone who's just beginning to stick their toes into academic apologetics. And sometimes those who begin to do that uh, begin to become argumentative in their approach to doing apologetics. And I want to tell you, our job as Christians and followers of Jesus Christ is not to win arguments. We're not called to win arguments. We're called to win people. If all you're trying to do in your apologetics for those who are within the academic field of apologetics specifically, if all you're trying to do is to win an argument, then you've missed the heart of apologetics. You've missed the, the reason we have been called to do apologetics, the reason we've been called to share our faith, and that is to win people, not arguments. And we do it with gentleness and respect, not arrogance, not flaunting how smart we are and trying to win the argument. It is about loving people right where they are and building relationships with them and trust and when we are doing our apologetics with gentleness and respect, people are more apt to listen to what we have to say. I've um, done some ministry on college campuses 
And I will tell you right now, I've done ministry with Muslims and tried to build relationships with Muslims on college campuses, gone to lunch with them, tried to spend some time with some of them. Uh, and sometimes the, the conversation would become heated, um, not just with Muslims, with atheists, with agnostics, with those who were outside of the Christian faith. Sometimes those conversations would become heated. So I, this is how I would handle it. I would just calmly say, listen, the conversation is going a direction that I'm, I don't, I'm not really comfortable with. Uh, I'm not trying to win an argument here. Um, I, I, your friendship is more important to me than me winning an argument or you winning an argument. So let, let's just pull back on this conversation uh, when it's not as heated and maybe pick it up later. And I tell you that that approach has helped me more than any approach when sharing my faith with people and sharing the reason for the hope that is within me. To honestly tell them that I cared about them more than I cared about winning the argument that I was having with them spoke volumes. And what it said to them was that they were more important than me winning the argument, that I cared for them as an individual. And I do and did care for them as individuals. They are created in the image and the likeness of our God, Yahweh, and his son, Jesus Christ. So, if an argument begins to form when you're having these conversations and it begins to get heated, remember Peter's command, do it with gentleness and respect. Pull back on that conversation and just let them know that you care about them more than you care about winning an argument. That brought up even more questions a lot of times uh, later in the relationship I was having with these individuals. Um, they knew that I was sharing my faith not to, to get some uh, notch on my crown, so to speak, in heaven, but because I cared about them as a person and as an individual. I had a deep love for them as my friend. Um, and that opened the doors like no other. And Peter goes on and writes, having a good conscience. We have a good conscience when we're sharing our faith, when we are not in an argument, when we're not trying to win an argument. After that conversation, we can have a good conscience. We can leave knowing that we did what we were supposed to do in a godly way. And he says, so that, when you are slandered, when people begin to put you down for your Christian faith and begin, he says, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. We don't respond 
in a negative way when negative happens to us is what Peter says. One of our apologetic methodologies is, is that we turn the other cheek is what Jesus says. We don't uh, commit evil for evil, right? It's not an eye for an eye or a tooth for a tooth. To have a good conscience is to say that when I'm slandered, when I'm reviled, I'm still going to live out this Christian faith. And when I do that, it speaks volumes to the people who are slandering me, who are reviling me. It reminds me of the story of Richard Vermbrand, who was a Romanian uh, pastor, Baptist pastor, in the middle of the rise of communism within the Russian Empire. And when communism was beginning to rise in that part of the world, Richard Vermbrand began to speak out against the ideologies of communism and began to, and of course was preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ where Richard pastor Richard ended up being arrested for preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ and in prison he was persecuted horribly he was beaten horribly he was left in freezing cold conditions sometimes about to freeze to death he would be hung upside down. Uh, he would be put in this type of cages uh, with these spikes where he couldn't fall asleep. He couldn't really move around a whole lot. And he would be left in these things for days. And in the middle of all of this persecution, in the middle of these evil men persecuting him, what does Pastor Richard Von Brand do? He shares his faith with these individuals. And he does it in the middle of his suffering and gentleness and respect. And he was able to have a good conscience in the middle of that, in the middle of being slandered by this, these men, in the middle of uh, being reviled by these men. He lived out the Christian faith. And many of his captors and persecutors, specifically those who tortured him. Some of those came to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Wow. And the reason they did is because he faithfully lived out in the middle of his suffering what it means to be a Christian. And he loved even his persecutors. He wasn't looking for an eye for an eye or a tooth for a tooth. Sure, he spoke out against communism, the ide ideology, but he did not hate these people. He loved them and shared the good news of Jesus Christ with them. Wow. And there's been a movie made about uh, Richard Vumbrand's story uh, his life and his story. I'll link that in the description. Also, he's written a, he wrote a book on it. He's since many years now going to be with the Lord. Uh, he wrote a book called tortured for Christ. I'll link that also in the description on the podcast and on YouTube. Uh, I will link those for you to be able to check those out. Also, I want to give you guys, um, a couple of great, little books 
um, that I believe will help you uh, in your walk with Jesus Christ um, and sharing your faith and doing apologetics. Um, The first one I want to share is just a little book. It's only like 40, let's see, I think 45 pages. 40, 45 pages. That's it. It's written by Philip Grant Ryken. Um, great little book. What is the Christian world view? The basics of the faith. What is the Christian world view? Uh, actually, here at First Reformed, where I serve on pastoral staff, I actually gave this book out at our leadership summit at the beginning of the year. This year we focused on developing a biblical or Christian worldview and helping our leaders um, parse that out and see what that looks like in day-to-day living. And this is a great little book that I shared with them, and I'll link that in the description as well. Also, Ravi Zacharias and Norm Norman Geisler's little book. Uh, Ravi just recently went to be with the Lord, um, still praying for his family. Um, I loved his ministry. Uh, and Norman Geisler, who also has been with the Lord for a few years now. But this little book called, Is Your Church Ready? Is Your Church Ready? Um, motivating leaders to live an apologetic life. Excellent little book there. Um, also, I meant to grab a book. I'm in my office this this uh, today uh, working, um, and I meant to grab out of my home library uh, and forgot a book by Vody Balcom that I absolutely love. I think it is perfect for lay people in helping them uh, parse out what it looks like to do apologetics on a day-to-day basis. Um, it's called expository apologetics, and it's really showing you how to, how to use the Bible to make a defense for your faith. You don't need to have an uh, academic degree. If you have your Bible, you can make a defense of the faith, of the hope, that you have in Jesus Christ. And I'll link that book as well in the description. I just want to give you guys some resources that I believe can uh, help you in following uh, the command of Jesus and Peter here. To, Jesus commands us to go into all the world and to preach the gospel, to share the gospel with people. And then Peter tells us to make a defense for the hope that we have. Uh, and I want to give you some resources that I believe that could help you. Um, the everyday Christian um, who may have never been to seminary but would like to look at the basics and jump into that because we are all called to be apologists, um, not just pastors and those who are academically trained. Every believer is called to be an apologist. So we're going to end it out today. I hope this has been beneficial for you guys today, and I hope it blesses your heart. And I want you to always remember theology 
matters. God bless.